Pure Media Presentation. Hey, Ryan, I'll call you back in about uh, five to six minutes, okay? Sounds good. Okay, I did. At first, I'm kind of like, right, did he seem for me to call him back? So, anyways, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. I'm just getting ready to call you. No, okay. we're good. Go ahead. Hello, world. My name is Ryan Lindsay, and this is my podcast, Self Quarantined, presented by Fusha Media. It's the podcast with frank and honest conversations about sports and life. From the sporting world to the real world dealing with this pandemic. It's the podcast that can be enjoyed from a social distance. This week's guest is Eddie Johnson, a former Sixth Man of the Year who had a 17-year NBA career and is now a longtime Suns color analyst and host of the NBA Today on Sirius XM. As you heard from the open, we had to call Eddie back five minutes later. Getting Eddie for as long as we had him, he could have asked us to call back 10 times and I would have done it. He's been answering my phone calls for 20 years getting up early after getting in late on the road. I know my name is a four-letter word, but I'm pretty sure Eddie's wife might have called me another four-letter word when Eddie agreed to come on one of the morning shows I was producing. If you have a comment or question about a past episode or a suggestion for a future one, follow and interact with us on social media. Twitter, SQuarantinePod. Instagram, self-quarantine pod. Our company accounts on both platforms are at Fusha Media. Be on the lookout for the promotional videos and logos that the Fusha Media team will post about that week's episode to hopefully get you interested and listen. Which you now can find on YouTube. How about that? Fusha Media now has a YouTube channel. Big time. If you like the show, please rate and review it at the app that you found us, just like Rob PV has and Muchinski. After that, please also subscribe if you don't mind. The latest episode will be waiting for you when you get up Friday morning to start the weekend off on a good note. I also want to personally thank everyone who has listened to at least one episode. The numbers for each episode keep going up, and I can't thank you enough for all your support. Some all the way from Romania and Kenya. Just call me the next Mr. Worldwide, I guess. Now this week's guest. For my money, he's one of the best NBA analysts out there. Period. He would be on TNT or ESPN if he had played in a different city or maybe had won a championship. Like I said earlier, Eddie has been answering my calls for over 20 years. We got into a lot of different topics, including playing with Magic Johnson in Germany, Sprechen Sie Deutsch, Danke, what former Supersonic should have gone down as one of the greatest players of all time, and the NBA without a team in Seattle. But we started by getting Eddie's thoughts on the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary, Last Dance. I think it's something that, you know, we all wanted to see. Uh, you know, but for me, I would say you, I mean, people that have followed the sport of basketball and, and been involved with basketball and, 
and watched Michael Jordan all those years do what he did. Uh, in regards to the highlights and the storylines, we pretty much already knew because uh, we already experienced it. Uh, I think what interests me was just the behind the scenes things that I didn't that I didn't experience, right? That I hadn't heard, and and then the interviews from those players today, present. Uh, that's what really interests me, uh, and it, I thought it was a great documentary. Uh, I was a little disappointed in one regard. I think you know, well, Michael made a mistake, and I know he had control over a lot of the editing. Uh, is that you know, feeling, you know, because when when you're immersed in 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 the sport and in your team and in the desire to win and understanding the hierarchy and all of that, you put up with a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. right? You do. You put up with a lot of stuff. I mean, you put up with a coach screaming at you. You you put up with uh, star players maybe getting a little away with more things than what you could. You put up with star players getting on your case. And all of that falls back to the fact that you're worried about your career, your salary. I mean, you know, if you don't get along with a star player, you might not be there. So you give in to stuff. You deal with it. It's almost like a, a kid going to the service. I mean, 18-year-old kid, he goes to basic training. He's got this sergeant screaming at him all the time, and, and they're treating him bad, and he's got to do all these things, and he has no choice. And he goes off and he fights a war. And lo and behold, he's blessed enough to be able to get through it. He gets back home. And he's at home, his wife and kids, raising his family, enjoying his afterlife. And then somebody knocks at the door, and it's that drill sergeant, and he starts screaming at him. Well, he's going to get punched the hell out. Okay? I mean, he ain't taking it now. I mean, that's over. And I think what Mike missed out on is those guys were overtaking stuff from him, right? The criticism, uh, laughing at him, uh, the view that he was 6-0 and and, and they were just tagging along. All those things now, they didn't want to put up with anymore. Mm -hmm. And it hurt their feelings, most notably Scottie Pippen. Uh, And so I think that's the mistake in the documentary and how they handled it that way. But in terms of giving us something to watch and, and giving us an inside view on the Chicago Bulls, it was great. What did you think of the whole Horace Grant thing and and Michael throwing him under the bus and saying he was the guy that was the, the leak for that book, Jordan Rules? Yeah, you know, look, I mean, it, 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 I guess, you know, you're trying to create the best documentary and you want to put some, you know, you can't write a book without dirt, right? <laughs> I get that concept. You mm-hmm. can't do a movie without some controversy. Well, you know what? But in this situation, we're talking about real life stuff here. And, and you know, again, Ho- Horace was the guy that wasn't, you know, he wasn't in love with the idea of, you know, following every from A to Z behind MJ when he played there. And I think that's one of the reasons why he left, uh, because he was sort of like a little a rene- renegade in that in that respect. Uh, so, you know, when when it comes out again and then Michael just off the cuff, you know, when they brought up the book, uh, Jordan Rules, and, and then off the cuff, Michael said, yeah, that was horror. <laughs> I mean, just immediately. Nonchalant, yeah. Well, like, yeah we all, so like we Horace, all knew it. Right. So <laughs> Horace is sitting there listening to that. He's like, whoa. And, and he might have been watching it with his kid. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, his kids who weren't around, you know, in, in that regard, and all of a sudden, they're looking at their dad like he's a snitch. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, that, 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 you know, you gotta have some 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 backup to saying some stuff like that. You mm -hmm. gotta soften it up. See, I mean, look, if I was sitting in that position and somebody asked me that, I'd say, look, yeah, he wrote a book. He had some unnamed quotes in there. I didn't too much like it. Uh, word is, it was a, you know, it was maybe a player too that gave him some inside stuff. I don't know definitively, uh, and and just move on. Now, if they come back and say, well, you know, we heard Horace was one of them. And he could have said, well, I don't know. I don't know. I know Horace and he were friends, but far past that, I don't know if that was Horace that did it. Okay. But don't definitively say, oh, that was Horace. I mean, so when you say that, mm -hmm. it's issues that crop up. And, and, and now Horace has to defend himself, not only to his family, but to the public. Because we didn't have Twitter back then in the 80s. Can you imagine so now, that? <laughs> when, when all these people, right, when all these people, when they see Horace, all of a sudden now, they don't like Horace. Now, mm -hmm. they, they never watched Horace play. They never watched what Horace had to go through. They never watched his contribution. Now they're judging Horace on this documentary today based on a real-time interview with Michael Jordan. Now that ruins Horace's tenure with the Bulls. As it did, Scotty. And so that's the negative part there that I don't think that they paid attention to. So what was it like to play against Michael Jordan? Unbelievable. I mean, to me, he was the most competitive, maniacal uh, basketball player I've ever encountered. Uh, there was a lot of guys that were like that. But uh, in terms of quote-unquote superstar, I mean, he's at the top. I mean, he, he, just, he just wanted to win at everything. I've, I've been privy to playing cards with him privately. Uh, having conversations with him. I mean, it's a debate. It's a fight. And, and look, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I mean, a lot of people, in a, in a, not, not at a level of Jordan because he's Jordan, but a lot of people view me the same way in that regard. I like to win everything. I, you know, uh, my mouth can, can talk to try to disrupt you. I mean, all those things. I, I get all of that. Uh, and he was the best, man, at that. You know, and, and, and people, Jordan fans take offense to me because I don't anoint him as the GOAT. And it bothers them. But, you know, everybody has their own lens in how they see things. That's why this world is – that's why this human race is so wonderful because we don't all think alike. And, and then on top of that, we live in a country where we do have an opportunity, uh, you know, with our Constitution to be able to think freely, uh, you know, even though some people try to – forces out of us, which will never happen, but <laughs> yeah. we are able to think freely. And because of that, you know, you, you can, you can say whatever you want to say and you can believe in what you want to believe in. And, and I, I just think that's important. And, and so with, with, with MJ, especially, you know, when you start talking about the goat, I feel like, you know, my goat is magic Johnson. Now, people will say, well, how could you think that? Because Michael did this. Michael was 6-0. Michael was a great score. Because it's through my lens. My lens is I would love to – I love a basketball player that trusts his teammates. I like a basketball player that trusts them to the extent where he passes them the ball for a late game winning shot and not think he has to take every one. Uh that's my kind of teammate to raise the level of the players around him. And I think magic was the best ever at doing it. Now, I don't think anybody is, is, is there. The only player that's there close to him is the one that everybody hates now 
because they think it's a chance that he can uproot their goat, and that's LeBron. Mm-hmm. So those are the players that I cater to. I cater to Larry Bird. I would love to play with Larry Bird because he would have made me better because he would have trusted me. He would have given me the ball. He would have let me be a part of the show. Whereas with, 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 with MJ, he was the show. Took all the shots, you know, shot whenever he wanted to. Uh, and, and that's fine. They won with that way of doing it. But that doesn't mean that through my lens that I can say definitively that he's the GOAT. He's the greatest scorer to ever play in the game. He's the GOAT in regards to scoring, without a doubt. He's the GOAT in scoring. But in terms of overall basketball play, leadership, lifting your teammates, all of that, it's Magic Johnson to me. And if LeBron continues to play at the level he's playing and he continues to move forward, maybe he wins another championship or two, then he's going to be number one. That's just how I view basketball players. You've known Magic Johnson, if I remember correctly, when he was just Irvin Johnson, a kid from Michigan, from the high school days. Talk about those early years, the first time you met him, any kind of uh, stories that especially – Kids under thirty-five have you know don't really remember uh, Magic Johnson, right? And, and, and again, right. That's why I say it's always through your lens, right? And my lens with Magic does goes all the way back to high school. Uh, you know, we were both parade all American. Uh, we descended on Washington D.C. Uh, to play in that annual McDonald's All Star Game for top high schoolers in the country, and. I practiced against the guy for a full week. And I saw things in that practice that just simply amazed me. I, I mean, I thought I had basketball figured out, but when I saw this guy play, I was like, this dude's in a different world. And not only I was saying that, we're talking about great high school players that were there, like Albert King, who was really well known yeah. in New York City. Uh, we're talking about Wayne McCoy, uh, a top name in New York City. Uh, Darnell Valentine, one of oh, the yeah. top guards in the league in Kansas. I mean, Tommy Baker, who went to Indiana. Jeff Lamp, who went to Virginia. Uh, Pete Bucko, I think he went to North Carolina. I mean, we had like the top players that eventually a lot of them, you know, a lot of us went to the NBA that. We sat there and we watched this dude. And I'm telling you, it was just jaw-dropping. And then we left there and we went, they took a a team of us and they took us to Germany. And we played in a high school. uh, It was like we played against the the top junior teams over in Germany. And uh, we were there for about two weeks. I mean, two, three weeks. And we were in Mannheim, Germany. We toured all around. It was just a great experience for me. I mean, I, in a city kid out of Chicago, i you know been on a plane maybe once before that, and all of a sudden, here I am over in another country. Uh, it was just simply amazing. Uh, and we were playing against a group of kids. We were beating them by probably 60 points a game. Okay? It wasn't even close. And I just remember one game where – it was early on in the tournament, too, and Magic came down and he threw a pass, maybe to me. I wasn't looking, ball sale past my head. <laughs> he came down, he threw another pass to somebody, and they weren't looking, ball went out of bounds. Uh, and he was getting, he was the tallest guy on the team, okay? So he's the tallest guy on and the, the team. And the point guard. 
That's the, well, well, but the Colts didn't have him at point guard. Are you kidding here's me? Story, here's where the story begins. Oh, and so, you know, what Magic would do, because Darnell Valentine is out there, Tommy mm. Baker. I mean, these are two top-notch, you know, high school players. So he would grab the rebound, and he would turn and go. And he would go, and he'd be in front of us. I mean, that's how fast he was. Mm. And so he'd go, and we'd have a hard time catching up. He'd throw it away. So the coach called timeout, and he looks at Magic. He said, look, why don't you throw the ball to the point guard? I mean, you know, I got you out there. You're the biggest guy. You know, why are you handling the ball, you know? And, and so Magic just put his head down. I remember this like yesterday. He just put his head down. And at that point in time, I was out the game. And he had, so he had taken Magic out. Magic was sitting next to me. And he was literally almost in tears. Hmm. I mean, literally almost in tears. Hmm. Uh, and I looked at him, and he was like, man, this dude trying to take my game away, man. Look, man, please, this is what I do. I handle the ball. I just, and I looked at him. I said, man, this this." Coach right here, he's a high school coach in Germany. He's American, but he's a high school coach. I said, this dude don't know. I said, why are you letting this guy affect you? I said, man, if I'm you, he can't do nothing because Magic was the tour, okay? Yeah. I said, he can't do nothing. I said, man, man, go back out there. Man, just, man show this dude. <laughs> you don't pay no attention to him. And I'm telling you, that's why I tell people, you know, your your biggest I'm just gonna back up a little bit. Your your biggest accomplishments athletically were not on camera, right? And I would have to say my biggest athletic endeavor was not even on the basketball court. Mine was we were like ditching school one day with some friends. Okay, I'm in sixth grade. And we're ditching school, we're hanging out, you know, and we're in this like little behind this apartment complex anyway. And so I guess some guy that was irritated, you know, all this noise he was hearing, you know, probably worked all night, came home mad. He comes out of his apartment and he's like, I'm tired of y'all. Get the hell out of here, brother. And we look and he has a gun in his hand. Oh, jeez. And so we take off running. And we hear him coming down the stairs running at us. And so then we hear shots. Now, you know, I don't know if he shot at us or if he's warning shot or whatever, okay? But it was a fence. It was a gate that was probably, I would say, three and a half, four feet high. And we're sprinting and we're running. And I had some guys in front of me, and they were running. So they pushed the gate open, and the gate came back, right? one of them springy gates. Well, I didn't have time to try to push the gate. I actually jumped over the gate. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, when adrenaline is rushing, mm -hmm. there's no telling what you have in your body. And and my friends, as we ran down the street, they looked at me, they like, do you understand what you just did? I'm like, what? They said, you jumped that gate in stride. <laughs> Jeez. And I didn't even know I did it. 
you know, mm-hmm. they were amazed. I mean, they were talking about that for weeks. We even went back to the gate and like, <laughs> and we had a couple of people try to jump it and they trip over it. I didn't even, I was like, there's no way I can do that again. I, but so I, I say that because it was no film. So I could talk about it and people can say, oh, I don't Be on YouTube that. now. That's legend. Yeah. yeah, that's legend. I don't believe that. Uh, you know, and it's the same way with Magic when he went back in this game. Hmm. We've seen the greatness of Magic in finals. We saw him at Michigan State. I am telling you, I have watched this guy play as much basketball as anybody, playing against him or just watching this game. What he did the next five and a half minutes when he got back in that game, I never saw him do again. And I'm not kidding you. He, he, this dude, this coach put him in a position where he just had to prove to this coach that you're wrong. He came down, he got the ball, he dribbled up. The coach is antsy over there. He's getting ready to get up when he saw Magic do it. <laughs> Magic spun, and in the middle of his spin, he threw the ball like boom, almost three quarters court to Donnell Valentine on the run. He catches it, he lays it up. <laughs> The next time down, Magic steals the ball, comes down, goes between his legs two or three times, and then grabbed it with one hand, slung it behind his back for an alley-oop to, I think it was Butko, whoever would have, and he slams it. He comes down again. He catches the re- on the free throw line at the other end. He throws a full-court bounce pass on the, on the go. To me, I lay it up. All right? So the other team calls a timeout. We go over to the huddle, and the coach is looking at him, right? But he don't say anything. <laughs> so I come out of the game, and we're all sitting there. And so Magic continues his circus. I mean, it's just like he come down, he give a half fake, he pull up for the jumper. He went down one time, spun, and dunked on somebody. I mean, it was relentless, okay? And – and you got to believe, we were up like 60 points at the time. I mean, we're just killing this team. So I turn and I look at the coach. And the coach is talking to his assistant. And he's, he's looking at his He said, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what so, the hell was he thinking? <laughs> so, so the rest of the tournament, he put, <laughs> he put magic at point guard. He said, he apologized. He said, I, 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 I apologize. I apologize. I didn't know. <laughs> and oh, it's just a running man. joke. It was a running joke. I mean, and, and, and so so for people to understand why I say he's the GOAT and Magic publicly won't grab onto that, he'll give it to Michael. He'll say Kobe's the greatest Laker. I know Magic. Magic's a politician, man. Mm-hmm. He's a politician, mm-hmm. all right? He, please. He doesn't think anybody's better at basketball than he was. He just doesn't. I remember Eddie Johnson, first of all, uh, as being a Sonics fan, I remember you when you got traded to my team in the uh, 90-91 season. What did you uh, know about uh, the city of Seattle? And, and give me your, your initial impressions of, about getting traded up here. Well, I mean, look, I got traded in my uniform with the Suns. Uh, we, we were in New Jersey. Uh, you know, Cotton Fitzsimmons, you know, like a father figure to me, I – you know, but I kind of sensed that something was up. 
uh, it was an emotional situation, uh, but you know, he traded me for Xavier McDaniel. And I told him at that time, I said, you're making a mistake. I said, I know you and I have been having our run in, making a mistake. And so, you know, with, with, with me, you know, I've always said I played with all 20 some odd teams at the time. <laughs> I don't know how many teams it was at the time. It was probably closer to 30 by then, but I said, that's my goal. I want to play in the NBA. I'm not going to get down too much. I know it would be tough for my wife, uh, you know, and our newborn to, to change, you know, scenarios and have to move. But, you know, I just looked at the move as something positive. And when I looked at the roster, you know, and I, and I was leaving to a 55-win team. I mean, we had success in Phoenix. We had gone to the conference finals two years in a row. Uh, I won sixth man. I mean, we were the highest scoring team. I mean, we, there were so many positives to, to want to stay in Phoenix. Uh, but I knew careers were short, and I've had to deal with it and move on. And, and the, the good feeling I had for Seattle was I look at their roster, and uh, I'm looking at, okay, they just drafted Gary Pate, number two. They, they got Sean Kemp, who's going to be a tremendous player. They got Derek McKee, who's going to be a tremendous player. You got Nate McMillan, one of the best leaders uh, in our sport. Uh, had Michael Cage, uh, great rebounder. Jerry Curl. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, they had Dana Barrows on that team, tremendous shooter out of Boston College. Uh, Dale Ellis was still on the team. I mean, I always admired Dale. We battled way back in college. And I'm looking at this team. So Dale Threat was on this team, a, a very good basketball player. So I'm looking at this team and I'm saying, okay, man, they're losing. And they had lost like 13 out of the last 15 games. And I'm saying to myself, and we had played them too, and I saw some of the things, issues that they had. And I'm just saying to myself, man, Eddie, you got to really become a leader. I mean, you you got to really, like, you know, ingrain a winning attitude. Because I lost early in my career. I know what it was like. But also now I'm experiencing the winning. I knew what it took to start to win. And I said, I'm just going to do my part. And I was very gung-ho. I was very excited. And, and I turned my mentality around. Uh, and I said, okay, you're going to approach this in a positive way. I could have taken two extra days before I reported. I didn't. They want an East Coast trip, too. I immediately went from New Jersey and met the team in Milwaukee. Uh, and so when I walked into the hotel, they had just arrived just a little bit ahead of me. And they were all in the lobby waiting on the keys to go to their room. And so I'll go over and I, you know, shake hands with the guys and do myself and all of that. And then uh, one of the players uh, walks up to me and he says, hey, what's going on, Eddie? I was like, good. He said, welcome to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> what? And, and I'm like, you know, it took me from a high of being excited to maybe, okay, to like a low because it's like, okay, these dudes don't even think they can win. I mean, so I'm really dealing with mm. the abyss right here. I went back to my room. I cried. I, I, I cried. I was like, I, I, you know what? Then it hit me because all that hard work it took for me to get from a losing situation in Kansas City and, and you know, growing in Sacramento to the Suns and what we went through with the, you know, with the drug situation before I got there and where that team was and winning 28 games and, all of a sudden ascending to one of the top teams in the league, all of a sudden, I it's like I'm back at the bottom. And that's when it hit me. And 
And then when I went in the room and, and look, God bless his heart. I think he's a tremendous man. Casey Jones, who won titles in Boston and was a very good coach, but I thought he was a little older in his years. And I just didn't know if he could handle, as I was there for a while, if he could really handle this young team, if he even had the patience for it. Uh, and was he just running out the clock? You know, I just had all those question marks about him, but he looked at me and he said, well, Eddie, what do you like to do? And I was like, whoa, I mean, you don't even know what kind of player I am. Mm. And, and and so that it was like, it wasn't a good start. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we figured out a way. Uh, we turned it around. Uh, and we made the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, Casey became more of a foot down coach a little bit at our urging. Uh, with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, who would know, show up five minutes before practice and just, you know, didn't really understand the nuances of the league. They were young. They were rookies. They were young players. They didn't know. And lo and behold, we made, we turned it around that season, made the playoffs, and played Portland, who had the best record in the league, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we took them to five games. Yeah, I mean, that. we yeah. we took them to five games. I mean, we had a chance to upset them in the first round, and uh, you know, played played great. Uh, Ricky Pierce was on the team by then. They had traded Dale Ellis, uh, and so you know, we were a tough basketball club, and so I was really proud of that man. I, I that's really my best year of being on the team, a team that really was sunken in the basement, but just turned it around and realized their talent and, and got to the playoffs. It was just an unreal uh, season for us. For people under 30, tell them how good Sean Kemp was and how Sean Kemp, how good Sean Kemp could have been. Sean uh, could have been one of the greatest ever if he wanted to. That's how much talent he had. But again, I got guys in my old neighborhood that could have been in the NBA, but they decided to do other things and try to keep basketball in, at, at the same level with their other junk. And lo and behold, they get in trouble. They go to jail. They flunk out of school or they lose their life. So Sean had an opportunity once he got in the league to become one of the top power forwards ever. And the negative is when you do come to the league and you're coming straight out of high school, and you don't have that maturity, and you latch on to people you shouldn't latch on to, uh, then you can run into trouble. And and that's essentially what happened to Sean. I mean, decision-making uh, in his career uh, stunted his growth and catapulted him backwards. Uh, but when he played, <laughs> Those few years I played with him, mm. and when they went to the when they went to the finals, and 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 when he was rolling, he was virtually unstoppable. I mean, he was virtually unstoppable. He's one of the few guys I knew that can jump up to shoot and shoot the ball on the way down and still be above the guy that's defending. Hmm. I mean that. I mean that that to me was amazing. Uh, but a tremendous kid, man. I mean, I love Sean Kemp to death, man. I, I I truly do. I just I, my biggest my biggest fault is I wasn't difficult, more difficult on him mm. as I could have been. He and Gary. Yeah. Uh, 
I was I was hard on Gary. Uh, Gary and I used to fight all the time, not physically, but he probably would have loved to have fought me because I used to always get on his case and just just remind him and humble him and, and just take him back to earth. But I didn't do that at the level at that same level with Sean because I thought Sean was more sensitive mm. and I was more worried that you know he would react differently. And and so I I, I wasn't as as hard on him as I was Gary. And I think I regret that I wasn't because I think maybe I could have done something uh, to redirect him uh, than the avenue that he fell into. Best dunk you ever witnessed in person with him? Well, it, it was the one on Alton Lister. Uh, now, I, now <laughs> that was embarrassing to Alton Lister's relatives, right there. Yeah, but we saw some some of the worst dunks in practice, right? Again, right, and the camera's not there, mm-hmm. uh, but in. And uh, he dunked on me one time in practice. I I thought I lost my whole body. Uh, but <laughs> the the one on uh, the one on Alton Lister, uh, it was well, you know, it, it's the storyline that goes with it, mm. See, that, and that's why that's why it's such a great dunk because Golden State and us we used to have some really good contests. Run TMC, I mean, we really did. Yeah, man, we had some great contests against each other, man, and. And it was a lot of trash talk going on. I mean, me and Tim Hardaway both from Chicago, so that's how we rolled. Uh, and you know, it's just it, it was just talent on talent. And then George Carl, obviously, used to coach Golden State. He and Don Nelson, you know, you know, had a little vitriol at that point in time between each other, and so it was it was a lot of little mini stories going on. And, and so now we in a high octane playoff series with them. And look, I was trailing behind the play. And so I knew what was getting ready to happen. I mean, anytime Sean had a, a running start at you mm-hmm. and you're backpedaling and then you put your feet in the paint and you get below that dotted line, you're toast. And so I was running from the rear and I saw it coming. I just saw it coming. And and he when he leaped on all, all, all Lister could do was just look. And Alton's a good friend of mine, too. And he's not a guy that is a weak guy. He'll challenge you at the rim. Uh, he's very physical. But after he dunked on him, all Alton could do was say, man, good dunk. That's all he yeah. could say. I mean, there's nothing else he could have said. Uh, it was just a great basketball play. And uh, then the point, too. Yeah. Sean with the yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a technical foul back in them days. You say a lot of stuff, point uh, fingers and do all of that. Uh, yeah, but Sean was a showman. He was a very shy dude. He really was. I mean, he didn't talk a lot. Uh, he was a loner. And I think that's part of the problem because he didn't really open himself up to us. Uh, but you know, he, he didn't really say nothing, but he was an actor. I mean, he loved to put on the show when he got between the lines. He's very theatrical. And, uh, so we, we expected that from him when he dunked it. Where would Gary Payton rank among all the all-time trash talkers in the league? Uh, he's way up there. I mean, he, he's up there. And and he encountered one in me when I got there. Uh, he didn't know it. Uh, and and so I learned my craft from Larry Bird. I mean, my first year in the league, Larry Bird pretty much brought me into the club of trash talking. <laughs> and, and so uh, you know, when I got there, I mean, it was like, they'll tell you on that team. Uh, he and I would argue all the time, and but we never it, it, it never got personal. 
I mean, we had so much respect for each other. I mean, it never got personal. We, I understood certain things I could say to hurt his feelings. He understood certain things he could say to hurt mine. And we didn't even go there. Uh, but he and I would go at it. Uh, and and he can be both would carry that to the court. And we'd be out there talking junk, and he'd be talking junk. And, and he knew he was protected. You know, Gary knew he was protected. He could talk smack. But he also knew that, you know, he had some dudes behind him that wasn't going to let nobody touch him. Mm. And, and especially Sean. Sean was not going to let nobody. Sean was like our enforcer. I mean, we, like, because I used to always get hit coming off screens. Mm-hmm. You know, guys take their shots at me. And Sean warned guys, they may even stop hitting them. You know, I mean, it was always we. So Gary knew he was protected. So he could talk smack with the best. What was your relationship like with George Carl? It was good. I love George as a coach. I mean, we had an ups and downs. I mean, as every you know player will have with his coach, but I love George because George let us be us. Uh, you know, he didn't try to change us. All he, all George wanted us to do was just play hard. You know, that was always his thing. You know, man, just play hard. You know, I don't. He didn't really work on the offense much. He just said, "Look, just share the ball. Just push the ball up the court. Get in your spot. Share the ball. Get your shot. Take it." Uh, you know, but we also know who we need to go to, right? And if somebody got hot, keep going to them. I mean, that that's the only thing he ever told us offensively. Defensively, though, he held us accountable. And he held me accountable. He held Ricky Pierce accountable. Two offensive-minded guys that, quote-unquote, didn't get respect for even attempting to play defense because they wanted to keep us at that, that way of how people viewed us. Uh, but George taught me how to play defense. He really did. Uh, he, you know, Bob Kloppenberg was our assistant. Mm-hmm. He was the architect behind everything defensively. And, you know, they they taught us a lot. I mean, we had tons of defensive sets we had to remember. Uh, we had a smart team. I mean, because the, the we had so many plays and so many defensive sets that he, Kloppenberg would be over there holding up a sign, and we had to remember them. I mean, we they really put us to the test mentally. And so we had a very smart team. And, and so, you know, defensively, man, we, we were there. And George was, was the reason behind it. And so he was, like a, he was like a ball player, too. I mean, he liked to challenge us. He had shooting games with us, uh, talk smack, you know, come in the weight room, lift with us, have a good time, drink a beer with us. I mean, it was, it was, he was like he was one of the guys. And so I, I really enjoyed my time playing for George. Okay, let's talk 93 Western Conference Finals against your old team, the Suns. What do you remember about that series? Well, I mean, we, we were mad that we didn't think we were going to play them. I mean, look, I laugh at sometimes when players say, oh, you know, I want the best. No, you don't. <laughs> you want the easiest so you path. Go, look, you want the easiest road you can do. You get to get to the final. Heck yeah. Okay? And then, okay, once you get there, okay, fine. But you want that title. You're not sitting there saying, you know, we weren't sitting there cheering for the Lakers. I mean, for the Suns to come back on the Lakers when the Lakers had them down 2-0 in the first round. We were happy. We were like, good. This is easy. We're going to get there easily now. And when the Lakers had them down 2-0, we pretty much had wrote the Suns off. We were like, no way they're going to beat them three in a row to get back. Now I remember Paul Westfall, <clears throat> you know, going public and saying, you know what? We're going to go there and win, win the third game. We're going to win the fourth game. And we're going to come back in and win the fifth. And everybody thought Paul was crazy. But Paul believed in his team. And and that's that's the beauty of a coach. He believed in his team. He believed in Charles. He believed in KJ. 
that they turn it around and they'll get it back in the series and they'll win it. And lo and behold, they did. And we had a little tougher road. You know, we had to really get through, uh, uh, I think it was Utah in the first round. Uh, and then we had to get through, uh, the Rockets, Houston. Yeah. You know, we get through the Rockets Mm -hmm. and, and with a King and that was, Ooh, that was extremely difficult. Uh, that was the Houston Rockets that was going to win a championship. Mm-hmm. Akeem was pretty much unstoppable in that series against us. And and they had the talent. They had the talent to match us. I mean, they had the size. They were young. Otis Thorpe. Robert Ory. Yeah, Robert Ory was young. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they had some guys that, you know, were still trying to find their way. I mean, Kenny Smith and, and, all got, and Vernon Maxwell. But I'm going to tell you something, man. They were game. And we knew it. We knew it after the first game. We talked about it. Uh, we like, hey, man, these dudes tough. And and they really taxed us. Uh, and I think that first game, me and Ricky had a good game uh, to win game one. Uh, and then in game two, uh, they were playing us. And we thought, okay, you know, they really thought that they had the game one. And they, they were really controlling the contest. They truly was. And then late in the third quarter, you know, George went to the bench, as he always did. He really trusted the bench. And, you know, he went to the bench. He stayed with it. And we were able to make some inroads and and get back close in the game. And uh, they came down. I think they had, I don't know, probably had about 15 seconds or so uh, to, you know, to get the last shot. And they made the bucket. Uh, They made the bucket. And then Michael Cage, you know, you always wanted Michael Cage to take the ball out after the bucket because he'd always get – Michael Cage got the ball out of bounds as fast as any player that I've ever played with. I mean, he always – he had an art, man. He'll grab it. His outlet passes were always great. And he'd grab the ball out of the rim, man, jump out of bounds, boom, get the ball to you. I mean, and, and so I knew that. Most most of the team teammates knew that. And, you know, and so we were always cognizant of – you know, catching the ball if it's a half a second and throwing it full court. You just never know. You never know if the ball goes in. And mm-hmm. it can change the dynamic of a game. And in today's game, players don't do that. They're worried about their field goal percentage, which is amazing to me because they're all shooting low 40, so why are they worried about their field goal percentage? But anyway, uh, he got it into me, and I took one dribble turn, threw it in half court, man, it went in, and that changed the tide of that contest because I actually thought they had us. And uh, the crowd went crazy. Uh, and it just catapulted us into the fourth quarter, man, and we beat them and go up 2-0 in the series. And and so, uh, you know, it was it, it was nip and tuck after that, obviously. Uh, it was a seven-game series, and uh, we got out of that one, and we got to the Suns, man. We, we felt confident. We really did. We felt that we could beat them. We felt we matched up well with them. We felt defensively we can do a lot of things against Charles because we had the size. I mean, we could throw Sean on him. We could throw Sam Perkins on him. You could throw my cage on him. Vincent Askew off the bench could guard him. I mean, so we had Askew's a multitude tough. of guys yeah. uh, that could guard him. And in game one, you know, they, they pretty much, you know, took care of us. I mean, it was nip and tuck game. They got they took care of us. But in game two, those are the ones you steal. We got it. Mm-hmm. And so, You and Ricky Pierce, you know, wasn't it? Uh, well, I think everybody did. Yeah. I, think, I think Ricky more so than anybody. Ricky yeah. had a great game in game two. And, and so uh, – you know, me to jump backwards for a second. And, you know, back then, we never talked about injuries, you know, and they always kept injuries secret. And it was frustrating for players because, you know, you can't, you know, you're getting ripped in the press. 
and but they don't know that you're playing hurt. And, and so it, it's always difficult. But he's got to be a man, and you got to move on. you got to go play and take it. And at that point in time, uh, I happened to be doing an article for the Seattle Intelligencer, Intelligence, uh, like a diary. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had done, uh, you know, I had done some articles, and, and I had done one article on one of the writers there. It really wasn't on him. It was just on writers in general. I just make fun of them. I say, you know, how they dress and, you know, they don't, I got to teach them how to dress. It was like a comical article. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't pointing at anybody. But when I threw that half court shot in against the Rockets, I actually pulled my cap. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, and I, I, I dealt with it the rest of the series against the Rockets. Uh, virtually played on mm-hmm. one leg. And George didn't want people to know. People was asking, what's wrong with me and all that. And George was like, I'm fine. And I'm frustrated because I'm like, you know, I'm getting killed. And he's like, Eddie, we don't want them to know that you hurt, man, because we need them to stay on you when you come in the game. That's going to give us an opportunity to get Sean and Derek and them good post up. Okay, fine. So when I got to the Sun series, it was still bothering me. And so after we tied the series up, we got to game three. Uh, it was really bothering me then. And I had a really bad game. I shot an air ball. And so this one reporter who remembered the article that I wrote, he sees the opportunity just to destroy me. And, you know, and it, it really was hurtful. I never read the article, but people saw it. Who was it? I eventually read it years. Who was it? I forgot the guy's name. But he, he was, I, I forgot his name. Mm. I truly do. If I remember his name, I would tell you. Okay. Uh, and it was really, it was really a, a nasty article. And, and, and I told him after I heard about it and I told him, I said, you know, you just really messed with the wrong dude. Cause <laughs> I can, I can really get your job because I, I, I can tell every, and I did, I told every player for the next two games, not to even talk to him. Mm. And I, and I remember walking up to him. I said, how do you, how you feel now? Mm. I said, you getting you, you getting your work done? Mm. And and then I told him to go ahead. I mean, I wasn't gonna try to mess with this dude's job. Yeah. Uh, but I told Send him, him a message. Know, I mean, yeah, y'all go ahead and talk to the guy. Yeah. You know, Gary, like I, I ain't I ain't <laughs> talking to him. Like, you know, you know, so that sounds like Gary. Uh, yeah. As the series went on, you know, we you know we tied it up. Uh, they beat us uh, in game three, then we won game four, and uh, so we go back to Phoenix. And we had a chance to beat them. That game seven, man. That game Marley seven. was crazy in game five. <laughs> yes, but yeah, he did. We go back and we went game six. You're right. We go back home and win game six. And now the underlying story here is the son's team doctor at the time. He was their team, uh, you know, structural doctor. Uh, Skip Steingart, a good friend of mine. His, his dad was the team doctor. Uh, and, and so I go see Skip. And I called him up. I said, man, you got it, man. Something's wrong. I said, I don't think it's my calf. I said, I think it's my back. Because I've had a calf injury before, and it didn't last this long. So I said, I actually think it's my back. And so the day before game seven, not a true story, day before game seven, <laughs> I meet him in his office. I told the Sonics, I said, I'm going to go see this doctor, man. I think he can get get me right. 
And so I flew, I flew in, I flew in before the team, mm. and I go see him. And he works with he works with me for about two hours. Okay, Jeez. and again, this is a son team doctor. Yeah. All right, but this is a very good friend. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I truly believe if Jerry Colangelo had known that, he still would have said, "Go ahead and work on." Him. I mean, because Jerry wasn't like that, mm-hmm. you know. So I mean, he wasn't going to do that. And, and and so he worked on me, and he got to the realization it was my back. And so he started manipulating my back and really getting me right and everything. And I, I met with him, I think, twice that day. I went that morning and I went that evening. I think the evening he came to my house, actually. Because, you know, I had my house here in Phoenix. And, okay. And he said, don't do anything, Eddie. Don't, don't test it out. Don't go to your hotel room. Start jumping up and down. Just wake up in the morning, okay, and let's see how it is. So we had an afternoon game. I woke up. I went to bed like at about eight o'clock because I was like a, a kid in the candy store. I was so giddy because I felt a difference by not trying anything, but I felt a difference already. So I go to bed early and I go to bed and I wake up. And the first thing I did was I got out of bed and I jumped. <laughs> and I was like, no pain. And I jumped again. No pain. Then I went out in the hallway and I started sprinting. No pain. And I'm telling you, I went back to my room, I fell on my knees, and I just, I just prayed and I thank God. I'm like, because there's no way I wanted to get to a game seven and still had to deal with this, you know? And it, it was like, and I told George. I, I went. I, I told George that morning. If I called him or whatever, I said, "George, you got to trust me today. I don't have any pain. I don't have any." So I got there early, warmed up, no pain. I'm sprinting, running, jumping around. I was like a kid in a candy store. Uh, dunked in layup line, which I never did. <laughs> I mean, I was just in my team just to let my teammates know yeah. I was good. Yeah. And. Man, everything I had in that game seven, man. I mean, yeah, I had 34 points. Uh, I think it was 18 in the third quarter. But it was just too much. I mean, Charles was just too much, man. I mean, he was he was destined. Uh, they went to the foul line, what, 60 times? Yes, I mean, it was, it was just unbalanced. It was ridiculous. Um, I it know was people ridiculous. have conspiracies and all of that, but I'm not going to even go there. I, I, just I was a frustrated was teenager, Eddie. I was a frustrated teenager watching that game because I'm just like, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, we didn't do what we needed to do to win. Yeah. We we were the more talented team, but we were just young. Yeah. We we didn't understand, and 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 so I wish Gary and Sean were a little older at that time because we would have. But to me, it was it was the most talented basketball team I've ever been on. Uh, it, it's no more talented basketball team from from one through twelve that I've ever been on. What's it like to have the NBA without a team in Seattle? It's frustrating. It really is. Uh, and, and like I said, I've in the past, I've tried to do as much as I could to, to, to help. It's frustrating, man. Those fans up there are the best, man. I mean, they, they really are. And they deserve a team. They deserve a team. It, they, did, they didn't lose a team because they didn't love their team. Like, when I played in Kansas City, they didn't come to the game. All right? 
and because it was hard for them to get there. So I'll, I'll, I'll cover them on that. The stadium was in a weird place, but we still weren't going. You know, they weren't going. We were getting 2,000 people at games. So I, you, you kind of say, okay, you go to Sacramento and all of a sudden they're selling out every game. They've been selling out to this day. Yeah, it's a good move, you know, because, hey, look, look what's happened for them up in Sacramento. Okay, fine, you get that. But what happened in Seattle, those people packed that place. That was the, that was the most intense place for any opponent to come in there and play. They were all for their team. And to lose it because you have ownership that wasn't committed, you know, you have an owner that really didn't care to the point where the history of that organization and he sells it to a guy that knew he was going to move the team. That part is the one that gets me. Okay, sell it. Who cares? Sell it. Go ahead, man. Make your money. Sell it. But don't sell it to somebody that's going to move it. Mm. You know, and, and that's the part that gets me. Uh, and I don't, I'm not mad at the guy that moved it because, hey, that's where he wanted to be. That's his money. He spent it. He gets it. That's fine. He can do whatever he wants to do with his ownership. I'm not telling anybody to do anything with their team when they put up the money to buy it. But my vitriol is toward the owner that had it and giving it up. And, and 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 doing it, and that's the tough part. A lot of people put a, a lot of blame on David Stern, especially two three years later when Chris Hansen was trying to buy the Kings and bringing up there, and he put the kibosh on it uh, last minute. So there's there's a lot. There's still it's still an open wound up here. Uh, and as a as a Sonics yeah. fan, and as an NBA, it's hard to be an NBA uh, fan, uh, honestly, with you, uh, just because in. It feels like something's missing in my life. And, I mean, the worst yeah. part, the toughest part was when they had James Harden, they had Russell uh, Westbrook, and, and they had KD. And they were, in, you know, I was just, oh, yeah. man. I remember, I remember when I was, in, I was in Barcelona, Spain, and it was the uh, Western Conference Finals when it was mm-hmm. uh, Thunder and the Warriors. And I remember mm-hmm. going to bed before, I don't remember what game, I think it was the game that Clay went off on. And... Thun- the thunder were up. Yeah, the thunder were up, and I-, I was like, "Oh God, just don't, just come on." I- and I woke up the next day. First thing I did, is I-, I turned, I went to ESPN just to see what happened, and yeah, it-, it made it made my it made my trip. So I, yeah, it's it- there's is something missing in my life with the Sonics not being in Seattle. Just yeah, just, and you know, I, yeah, and, and I understand you, you say you you're upset with Dave Stern, but I'm gonna protect David a little bit here in, in the fact that. The team that they were going to get was a city that loved their team too, and 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 that's what I when when people interviewed me about it and they said, well, the Kings are thinking about going up there. Well, I, I said to myself, I said, well, then Seattle's going to put themselves in the same position that Oklahoma City just did, right? Mm. Where a team was taken away from them that was having success in regards to the what the participation of the fans. And because it wasn't a fan thing in Sacramento, just like it wasn't a fan thing in Seattle. It was a political thing. Mm-hmm. And, and and so in that part of me, I was glad that Sacramento stayed. I, I just didn't want Seattle to get a team the same way they lost the team. Yeah. A team that was successful. Uh that 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 was my only thought process behind that, and, and so in a sense, I'm glad that Sacramento stayed uh, because that city, man, they 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 have supported that team through thick and thin, 
And, and, and Seattle needs to be in that same situation again. And that's why I think they should get an expansion team. See, I don't think Seattle should get a current team. I don't. I think just like the Charlotte uh, Bobcats, right, when they lost the Hornets, mm-hmm. they got an expansion team. So it was almost like, you know, it never stopped. You, you, you get it? I mean, because players yeah. trade. They get yeah. traded, they move. So there's like, it's no different. You know, we got a franchise side. Yeah. You know, not the same player. And that's, that's what, to me, what Seattle should get. Seattle needs its franchise. So then when you put the Sonics across the jersey, it is no discontinuation. You know, it's no like, you know, you bring in somebody from another city and they played in that city and they developed a name there. Now they are in Seattle. Yeah. No, it'll be, the, it'll be bam. It'll be, no, you're a Sonic. And I truly believe it's going to happen. It, it, it's going to happen. I just want it to happen well, sooner than later. This pandemic might help because what's the easiest way for the NBA to get uh, fresh cash is an expansion franchise. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's how you get it. Plug what you want, Twitter, uh, your serious uh, XM show. Plug all, all the things that you want to uh, plug here because I appreciate all your time, Eddie. Yeah, well, any, well, people can tune in uh, five days a week, uh, Monday through Friday. I'm on Sirius XM, NBA radio, uh, and uh, my co-host is Justin Termini. Uh, our show is called the NBA Today Show. Uh, we're on uh, two to five, two to four right now because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and adjusting back to radio. But normally we're on uh, four to seven Eastern time, which is obviously uh, one to four Pacific. Two, one, one to four Pacific yeah. time. And uh, three hours of nothing but NBA basketball, pure combustion. Uh, if you haven't listened to us, you'll find out quickly. Uh, we're like two guys sitting in a bar arguing about sports. Uh, it gets personal sometimes. Uh, but, you know, we are able to navigate back to what we need to do. Uh, it's not So it's not pleasant to the ears at times. We will scream at each other and go nuts. Uh, but to me, it's the kind of conversation with, with sports and basketball that we all have when we're sitting around with our buddies. And so uh, it's a great show. I'm in my sixth year now of doing it. Wow. And uh, so enjoying it. And it's still obviously the color analyst for the Phoenix Suns as well. Uh, I'll be entering my uh, 19th, 20th year next season, That's which crazy. is amazing. Yeah. I never thought I'd be doing it that long. And so. Yeah, just uh, enjoying basketball. Twitter and IG. Life. Where's your Twitter and IG? What's your? Uh... Yeah, you, people can follow me at Jump Shot Eight, uh, and that's Jump Shot Eight spelled Jump Shot with the numeral eight, uh, and then uh, IG as well. Uh, jump Shot Eight. You don't have a check mark on the IG. What's going on there? You're gonna get that check mark, man. Yeah, well, I don't know how to go get it, and I'm not in a hurry to go get it. <laughs> you know, they, 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 sooner or later, they'll figure out that I am the real one. So we'll wait. <laughs> Thanks to Eddie for coming on the podcast and always coming strong with the opinions. Eddie's goat, Magic Johnson. How about that? If you have an opinion about that or anything else that you heard on this week's episode, interact with us on social media. Twitter, at SQuarantinePod. Instagram, at SelfQuarantinePod. Our company accounts, once again, on both platforms are at Fusha Media. If you are a company and would like to be a part of this podcast or would like Fusha Media to help design your own podcast, email me, ryan at fushamedia.com. Finally, I want to finish with this. 
like I said, we taped this interview a couple weeks ago when George Floyd was still alive, living in Minnesota. At that point, we only had a pandemic to worry about. Somehow in that time, things have got a lot more complicated. And because I know I would have asked for his opinion on what's going on this week, I'm going to finish episode 10 of this podcast with some words from Eddie Johnson's social media feed. Once again, at JumpShot8. This was a tweet from earlier this week. These are the days I wish all those leadership classes took hold for our leaders. We have voted in place in this country. And if you're upset and want to change and want great leaders, study the people who you want to lead our country and then get up and go vote. I will be there in line early. So will I, Eddie. Thanks for listening. And please, please, everyone, stay safe.